The following is a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. One of the activities that my family uh, has enjoyed together this past summer is playing games. For some reason, my children, even though I don't think they're that old, are not really into toys anymore. Uh, But they've been enjoying games. So we've been buying all sorts of games. Games they can play by themselves, games we can play with them, board games, card games, kind of tactile games. And it's been fun to be learning those together and playing them as a family. Yeah, Jacob, one of his favorites is called Sushi Go. I recommend it. It's really good. Yeah, don't worry. You you have to look at it. It's, It's really good. What we haven't been able to do, though, is to get our kids into puzzles. It just hasn't taken. But I know some of you children and some of you adults are into puzzles. So help me out, please. When you're trying to make sense of a puzzle, what's the best starting point? The edges. Yeah, the edges. Yeah, the picture on the box is really important, but then you look at the puzzle and you you start working those edges. And most people agree that that's the best starting point because, you know, because of the shape of puzzles, the fact that the edges have those straight sides to them means you can find them quickly and start to figure out which ones fit together. And then you work from the outside and work your way in. But do you know what I've come to realize? The opposite is true of the Christian life. If you're going to make sense of life following Jesus, you have to start with the center. From the center, you can work your way out and figure out the rest of the the sections in relation to it. Because in the Christian life, everything is energized and rightly ordered by being connected to the center. Do you know what else I've come to realize? As individuals and as local churches, we suffer the ill effects of two unhelpful ways in which we approach the puzzle of our lives. The first is attempting to live without connecting the many pieces of our lives, which leaves us overwhelmed and exhausted and lacking a sense of priorities that can help us to know what we must do and what we can give up even for a season. The second is putting the wrong pieces at the center of our lives and churches. We mistakenly put education or career success or financial independence or marriage or parenting or even fulfilling our purpose or doing great things for God at the center of our lives. And we even do so for God's sake. And then we wonder why our sense of well-being rises and falls with our performance in all of these areas. As churches, we mistakenly put put good things like service or mission or experiencing the power of the Spirit at the center and then wonder why we struggle in all the other things that God has called us to, like loving each other or prizing God's Word. So the question then is, what should be at the center of our lives and our churches that will provide cohesion and solidity? Now, if you've been around us for a little while, I hope and I'm quite confident that you already know the answer to that question. At Grace Family Church, we are gospel-centered. Now, that's most definitely a buzzword these days, but that doesn't make it a meaningless fad. For us, it is not one useful path among many. It is fundamental to being a healthy church. It is the expression of strong and deep biblical convictions, convictions about the central point and overarching storyline of the scriptures, convictions that we share 
with the churches in our denomination, Sovereign Grace Churches. Here's how we as a family of churches describe this particular value. We believe that the gospel, the good news of God's saving activity in Jesus Christ, is the pinnacle of his redemptive acts, the center of the Bible story, and the essential message for our faith, life, and witness. We are committed to preaching the gospel, singing the gospel, praying the gospel, and building our churches upon the gospel. Our ultimate hope in all that we do is, is not our plans and labors, but the perfect life, substitutionary death, victorious resurrection, and glorious ascension of Jesus Christ. What I want to do today, as we continue in our series, Who We Are, is to take you into the scriptures to show you why we believe this and the implications it has for you if you choose to belong to this local church. We're deeply indebted to a pastor named Mike Bullmore. He's a friend of Sovereign Grace Churches, and he taught Sean and Sheldon and myself while we were doing our training a few years ago. Mike has a message that he regularly preaches called the functional centrality of the gospel. And I am unashamedly borrowing many of his insights and largely employing his framework for this message. So we're going to use four headings. Three from Mike. The gospel itself, gospel truths, gospel conduct, and one that I've added, gospel community. So picture with me then three concentric circles with the gospel itself in the center, gospel truths in the next one out, gospel conduct in the outermost. So that, that was Bullmore's visual aid. Sean has come up with his own visual aid and it adds a fourth circle around everything. And then Sean has this fancy thing spinning off the circle to give you words because Sean is cool that way. I'm, we didn't talk about the theological impact of that thing spinning off, but don't worry too much about that. So the fourth circle is gospel community because in a sense, we are all gathered around those center three circles. So let's begin with the gospel itself. So I'm not going to be using a single text today because it's going to help us to see the same ideas in multiple places in the Bible. But I'll mostly be in Paul's letter to the Romans. So please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. To help you, we're going to project all the scriptures today because it would be a little bit of a Sunday school exercise to be turning to all of them. Um, so we're going to put everything up, but if you'd, if you'd like to follow in your Bibles, my recommendation is stay in Romans as I walk through and then just look at the others as they're projected. So let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's a well-known verse. I heard the, the, just the... the the response to that. But it's one that I misunderstood for many years, specifically what Paul meant when he said salvation. You see, I thought salvation meant getting saved. So to stop confusing you and to be more precise, I thought salvation meant conversion. Salvation, of course, includes being born again spiritually with a new desire to trust and to please God and to turn from sin, expressed in repentance and faith. But Paul is talking about a lot more than conversion. When you look at the context, you'll see that the verses preceding this one, you'll see in the verses preceding this one, sorry, that the recipients of this letter 
were already believers. And in fact, their faith was famous. They were being talked about all over the known world because of their faith in Jesus. So when Paul declares his eagerness to preach the gospel to these Romans in verse 15, his goal is not for them to get saved. He wants to preach the gospel to them because they needed God's power they needed God's power for the work of salvation that God was continuing to do in them through a deepening faith in the same good news that they first believed. That's why the first 11 chapters of Romans are an exposition of the gospel and of gospel truths. And then chapters 12 through 16 call us to gospel conduct. The gospel is for Christians. But what is the gospel? Now, Paul is going to zero in on the gospel in Romans in chapter 3, verses 21 to 25a. Now, that's a tremendously rich text, and I couldn't possibly do it justice in the time I've been able to allocate to that right now. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to rely on 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now Paul goes on in the following verses to speak of Jesus' burial and resurrection, which meant that Jesus really did die and was raised to life because his sacrifice was accepted by his father. But in verse 3, he offers a faithful distillation of the heart of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Jesus, God's son, his anointed king, whom we saw in Psalm 2 some months ago, laid down his life in our place as our substitute, taking the punishment that we rightly deserve because of our sins, or living for ourselves rather than for God, who created us and to whom we are accountable. Christ died for our sins. Now, in a wider sense, it's important to understand that the gospel includes Jesus' incarnation, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension and his reign. But biblical authors, when they want to use shorthand to refer, for the, refer to the gospel, they focus in on that event of the crucifixion. Hence, we can, we can safely say and faithfully say the gospel means Christ died for our sins. Paul reminds these believers that this good news is of first importance and that their faith in it is the basis of their stability and their right standing before God and that they are being saved by this good news, by their continuing to hold on to it. Now, being saved here is a reference to growth, a reference to sanctification, which means progressively becoming more and more like Jesus. And when Paul says that the gospel is of first importance, what he does not mean is that we must believe the gospel first and then we can move on to other things. As if the gospel is like the foundation of a house which is laid and does its job and you don't really think about it again. No, we must hold fast to the gospel. Which means that the gospel is not only the foundation but the cement which holds all the bricks together and the straps that hold all the roofing material together. From start to finish, the Christian life is lived by faith in the completed work of Jesus. Now, it's because of passages like this one and others all over the New Testament that Mitchell Chase rightly says, 
Christian growth is not beyond the gospel or outside the gospel, but in the gospel. Holding fast to the gospel is much more than having a conversion experience that you've written down on your resume, you've written your date in, or having the gospel in the statement of faith of your church. It means, as C.J. Mahaney once taught the churches of sovereign grace many years ago, keeping the main thing, the main thing in our lives and in our local churches. It means a consistent focus on the gospel, its implications, its applications, which is transforming our beliefs and our motivations and our emotions and our actions. It's not simply maintaining your trust that you have been saved from your sins through faith in Jesus. We are gospel-centered when the good news of Jesus gives the Christian life its shape and its power. Speaking of power, let's jump back to Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Here's what Paul means. God's power is at work through the good news about Jesus to save, to change, and safely deliver home everyone who believes and continues to believe that message. God's power. His let there be light and there was light power. His parting the Red Sea power. His sustaining his people through 40 years in the wilderness power. And as Ephesians 1 says, his immeasurably great Christ raising from the dead power. That power is at work through the foolish and despised gospel to save us from start to finish. And that's why if we assume it or marginalize it rather than making it our obsession, we do so to our own loss. If the power of God through the gospel is to function in our lives and churches, it can't be an antique that we have that we've kept on a shelf somewhere and, and occasionally admire. It has to be infusing our thinking and our behavior. The gospel transforms our thinking as we see and believe the truths that are true because of the gospel. Let's consider these gospel truths. So that's my second heading, gospel truths. So what? I remember asking that question as I was growing up with my siblings and my friends, and truth be told, it was more often than not a statement rather than a question. I hear my own children doing it. So what? You know the way children will do that to each other? And it really, what it really means is I see absolutely no consequence to what you are saying to me right now. But when it comes to the gospel, an honest and diligent so what is actually one of the best questions that we can ask. In fact, one of the ways we need to learn to read the Bible, and particularly the epistles, these letters in the New Testament, is to stay on the lookout for the so what's. What did Christ's death accomplish for us? When Christ died for our sins, what did it do? What are the implications of Jesus' completed work on our behalf? And the implications, the gospel truths that the epistles teach are not vague or speculative. They are specific. They're not squishy. They're solid. Gospel truths are realities that have been created through Jesus' work. And they're meant to shape how we think and what we believe. What we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at a number of these gospel truths in Romans. So if you're turning in your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5 and we're going to jump from there to chapter 8. So this is Romans 5, 
1 to 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God because of the gospel. Jump to Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for us because of the gospel. Romans 8, 14 to 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are sons of God and have nothing to fear from him because of the gospel. Romans 8, let's look at 35 and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. No suffering we can experience can separate us from God's love because of the gospel. Now, we invested a lot of time in Colossians these past few months. Here's just one gospel truth we saw there. Colossians 3.11. Here, meaning in God's new creation family, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. All the things that divide us lose their significance to define us because of the gospel. So here's what I want you to see in all of this. These glorious truths are not the gospel itself, but they are gloriously true because and only because of the gospel. And these truths are intended to transform how we think, how we think about God, how we think about ourselves, how we think about our remaining sin and suffering, how we think about our future, how we think about loving each other, how we think about Christian community, how we think about everything. A part of our unbelief stems from our inability to see God at work in painful and confusing circumstances of our lives and in the messy space of the local church. But the Christian life is a life of faith. We see God in the chaos of our lives through faith. These gospel truths can be trusted above your instincts and your fears and your questions and your insecurities because Jesus did not merely say these things. He wasn't coming up with these kind of pithy inspirational sayings and then sending his apostles to do the same. He died to make them so. One of the songs that we sing together is called yet not i but through christ in me and you can tell from a title like that that the authors were not trying to be cool or trendy neither are we we want you to sing that song we want you to sing it to each other we want that song in your hearts and in your heads because it's jam-packed with gospel truths that will transform how you think and transform how you feel if by god's grace you come to believe them more and more completely I know that you struggle to believe gospel truths. We, your pastors, struggle to believe gospel truths daily. 
The most honest among us will admit when it comes to particular things that the Bible says that we don't truly believe them. But here's what I want you to remember. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. When we interact with the gospel and its implications, we're not merely interacting with ideas. As we give our attention to these truths, as we cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. As we encourage and pray for each other, as we struggle together, God is powerfully at work by his Holy Spirit, performing a supernatural work of transformation in our hearts. That's why Paul can confidently pray towards the end of Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's Romans 15, 13. That prayer, that promise, is why we are committed as a church to being gospel-centered. As we, by the power of the Spirit, come to understand and to believe these gospel truths, they will transform how we think. We will increasingly have gospel perspectives and gospel priorities. But the influence of the gospel radiates even further. It shapes how we live. So let's consider then my third heading, gospel conduct. By gospel conduct, I mean the lifestyle we're called to, which is consistent with believing the gospel. Let me say that for you again. Gospel conduct is the lifestyle that we are called to, which is consistent with believing the gospel. In Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14, Paul definitively makes the case that the gospel transforms how we live. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our glorious hope, the appearing of the, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God that has been seen in the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus is training us. Grace is our personal trainer. It's as if grace is coming alongside us and it's encouraging us, it's setting goals for us, it's correcting our technique and motivating us. And grace is the best personal trainer to have. You see, grace reminds us that we are not accepted on the basis of our performance. So we're freed now to pour ourselves fully into pleasing God with joy and without fear of condemnation. A lot of people misunderstand grace. They think that grace means simply that you're just off the hook. They think that grace goes easy on us. But that's not grace. The person who has experienced the grace of God and continues to behold that grace is driven towards holiness with an imperfect yet ever-sustained appetite. Listen to Paul talk about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul instructs his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, he tells him, train yourself for godliness. 
And in 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12a, he encourages, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Grace trains us to forsake our sin and to pursue godly lives. And when grace trains us, it is specific. It's not just general conditioning. It targets particular muscle groups, particular areas of weakness and rebellion and indiscipline. So let's look at a couple of examples. This is 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we had loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So then, as we're getting trained... When it comes to loving each other, when it comes to loving difficult and insensitive and imperfect people that God has called us into a local church with, because that's the context John is writing for, we don't just grit our teeth and put up with each other. We have been born of God. We look over and over again at the love that he displayed for us when we were absolutely abhorrent to him. And that love starts to transform our hearts as we walk in obedience to this command to love each other. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One of the ways that God's grace motivates us to forsake sexual immorality is by reminding us of the good news that our bodies do not belong to us. When Jesus died for us, he literally purchased our bodies as a place where the Holy Spirit, the presence of God resides and where God is worshipped. Now, is there a greater honor that could be bestowed on you in the entire created universe? Therefore, glorify God with your body. Now, I could go on and on. As we grow in our understanding and in our basic technique, what, we start, what starts to happen is we start to gain the ability to apply the gospel to emerging challenges also. Now, the age of social media seems to have significantly intensified our fear of missing out. Our fingers are set to the trigger, combing our social media feeds and our WhatsApp conversations. And we feel this incessant need to be connected. I don't know about you, but I'll be doing something and it might be really important and that notification goes off. And I'm drawn back to the phone just to see who sent me a message, what is it about, is it important? So, no, no, no need to apologize, my friends at the back who send 300 or so messages per day. <laughs> At least. <laughs> so the question is, how do we enjoy the gift of technology without becoming slaves to it? The gospel notifies us that nothing we miss out on is going to matter forever. And the things that will matter forever are the things we cannot miss out on. As Tony Reinke comfortingly says, 
where God's word is opened, read, and embraced by the hearer. There is no eternal fear, only the promise of eternal restoration for everything missed out on in this life. The gospel itself puts forth the flowers of gospel truths which mature in our hearts into the fruit of gospel conduct by the power of the Spirit. But what does all of that imply about how we should approach life together as a local church? What does gospel community look like? Let's think then about gospel community, which is my fourth heading. I'm going to quote for you from Mike Bulmore at some length as he articulates a conviction that has shaped us as pastors and one that we want to shape you and shape us together as a local church. A local church is healthy to the, to the degree that, one, its pastor teachers are able to accurately, effectively, and broadly bring the gospel to bear in the real lives of their people, and two, its people have a deep personal understanding of and appreciation for the gospel so as to be able to live in the, in the good of the gospel daily. That's what Bullmore means when he talks about the functional centrality of the gospel. And that's exactly the kind of community we want Grace Family Church to be. A community of people committed to pursuing gospel growth together. We want to build a gospel culture. When you think about culture, you realize that we are powerfully shaped by those who influence our values and thinking. Long after we leave our home of origin, the way we do things, the way we think about things is shaped by our mothers or our grandmas or our aunties. My wife, Sam, loves tea. She drinks it several times per day. But often when I see her making tea, I'm bothered deep down inside me. She make it wrong. No, I really ever drink tea. But as far as I'm concerned, my mother taught me the correct way to make tea. How long the tea bag must be in the water, and the fact that you don't add sugar and cream and milk with the tea bag in the cup. No, I thank God for the wisdom I have found to leave her alone, to leave it be, because really it has nothing to do with me. It's not my tea. It's her tea. But inside, inside, I'm bothered. I have to leave the kitchen sometimes because I'm looking, I'm like, no, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, pray for me, pray for me. You know. I tell you, God is good because, you know, some, in some marriages that can become a fight, you know. So thank God for wisdom, just to, to back off, is her tea. <laughs> now, it might be that the influence that our culture has on our values and behavior is most obvious during high school. I'd argue that it's not necessarily more powerful then, but there's a shameless way that teenagers can seek to influence or coerce each other that brings this dynamic to the surface. Now, I saw many a fight in high school that was stoked by the words, my youth, you got to take that? Immediately. Fight broke. Much embarrassment and many a wardrobe change have resulted from hearing, no, my girl, you got to wear that? Culture and community that reinforces its culture is a powerful thing. If Grace Family Church is to have a gospel culture that influences our values and our priorities and our perspectives and behavior, it means that our members must buy into this value of gospel centrality. But what if you're not convinced? Then we'd want you to commit to being open to learning as we seek to convince you. What if you're struggling to get it? 
Well, we are struggling to get it too. We're very conscious of the fact that we have much to learn as leaders about the gospel and much growing to do in our thinking and conduct. In some ways, we're ahead of you, but we fully expect to be learning from you also because that's how God works in community. For our part, we're committed as your pastors to faithfully and consistently preaching the gospel and applying its truths as broadly as we are able as the Holy Spirit helps us. We're committed to helping you to see how what Jesus has done impacts every aspect of your daily life. And we want you to see the gospel at work in our hearts and in our lives. And we want to care for you by giving counsel that helps you to see and believe the good news as it applies to the specific ways in which you might be suffering, in which you might be struggling with sin, or in which you're lacking clarity or direction. But that second part of what Bulmore says is what I need you to wrestle with if you're considering membership in Grace Family Church. What it will mean to belong to Grace Family Church is to embrace the pursuit of a deep understanding of the gospel so that you're able to apply it to what you face each day and to help those around you, to help your brothers and sisters to do the same. We all need help to see ourselves because we all have blind spots. Sometimes I'm not even aware of how I'm behaving because it's so ingrained in me. So I need others who are not inclined to condemn me because of the gospel, but are committed to challenging me because of the gospel. I need people who are convinced that there would be nothing better for me and that there's no way I could be better for those who live around me than if I walked in line with the gospel. We want you to embrace the input of others in your life. And it's important to consciously embrace it because often the time you need it most is also the time you want it least. When sin is singing you its siren song, you are sorely tempted to believe its empty promises. And the road that Jesus calls you to walk seems unreasonable and undesirably painful. Which makes sense because taking up your cross and following Jesus and dying to self is painful. And self is not eager to die. So when our flesh is kicking and screaming, we need others to fight for us, to fight with us, and to remind us of truth. And that's what a healthy local church does. Stephen Bowne is a friend of mine. He's a fellow pastor in Sovereign Grace Churches, and he is a few years into planting a church in an inner city neighborhood in Philadelphia. And it's really a, really a troubled neighborhood. Huh? There's a lot of drug abuse and recovery houses and just low... Um, low, level, low, low, low economic levels. So I asked him about how they're approaching preparing people for membership. And one of the things that he shared with me was their membership commitment questions that those joining the church must consider beforehand and affirm on the day they are welcomed into membership. I'm going to give you an excerpt. So listen to this carefully with me. Do you wish to display God's glory by celebrating, proclaiming, and living the gospel as a part of a community of believers by the power of the Holy Spirit in every way God makes it possible for you to do so by His grace and following Christ's example to live a life of a life lived in holiness and love in complete obedience to the Father? If at any time your life is out of harmony with the Word of God, do you invite the church to lovingly pursue your restoration for your good, the church's purity, and ultimately for the glory of God? 
A part of why we wanted to teach through this kind of series is that for us, membership is a high-stakes thing, you know. It really is a commitment. It really is you giving up a significant measure of your right to be autonomous and your right to privacy because the gospel is worth it and because Jesus gave himself up for you. That's the kind of commitment we want to make to God and to each other as members of Grace Family Church. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. A part of believing the gospel is digging deeper into gospel truths and making gospel conduct our aim. And by God's design, that's best done together in a local church that is gospel-centered, where the connections between the gospel itself and the truths which arise from it and the conduct it calls us to are being clearly made, and we are all committed to being shaped by these truths as we pursue Jesus together in community. In the coming weeks, we will, be we will be embarking on this journey of membership with as many people as God leads to join us, or lives bound together by commitment to this local church. And if you do join us, we anticipate that this will be one of the greatest adventures of your entire life. It will not be pain-free and it will not be perfect. But we will see God and experience His grace in ways that we cannot yet imagine because Jesus is unquestionably committed to building His church. Will you join us as we as a community make the cross our, our boast and our constant theme? If you commit to walking with others in this way for years, by God's grace, you will look back from that vantage point and you will barely recognize who you are. You will, and together we all will, be more like Jesus. So let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.